moment in John's Gospel is the moment Jesus has been waiting for. All the way through John's Gospel, we hear of the hour that Jesus is waiting for, the hour uh, that he has come for, the whole reason he has come. Remember, John starts in John's Gospel telling us that uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word became flesh. God in flesh has come to this world, and he came for a purpose, the hour, and this is the moment. John chapter 18, we see that this is the time when the hour has come. Back in John chapter 13, we're told that Jesus knew his hour had come. That was earlier in the evening from where we picked this up in John 18. The whole reason that the Son of God has come to this world is here. So do you see, when we come to this moment, when we come to these chapters, we want to listen. Every moment, every scene is jam-packed full with significance and meaning. The reason he'd come is here. So as we look at the journey of the cross and the journey to the cross over these coming weeks, let's pray that God would help us. Let's pray that we would see just what this means that Jesus was willing to go through this for us. We're going to look at the four scenes that come in these in these two chapters and today we're looking at the betrayal of Jesus so let's ask then well if this is the hour Jesus has come for why is the cross so important why is the cross so significant to a Christian well there's lots of ways you could answer that but I want us just to focus on this passage and to ask that question in this passage and let's look at three reasons the first is this the reason the cross is important is because of the deity of Christ The reason the cross is important is because of the deity of Christ. Now, Jesus and his disciples have just had supper together, and uh, Jesus explained to them what's going to happen over the coming hours. He's explained he's going to be arrested. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be taken away. He's told them that although he's going to be taken away and he's leaving them, he's going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit. And he's prayed for them in the glorious prayer of John 17. And then they are making their way over to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're told that that is the place where Jesus often went with his disciples. It was an obvious place to go. Nothing unusual about where they were going. But while they were there, we're told in verse 2, if you look at the passage there, we're told Judas, who betrayed him, knew of that place. Now, earlier in the evening, just remember what had happened. The disciples had had this meal, and Jesus turned to Judas and he said, what you need to do, go and do quickly. He knew Judas was going to betray him. He knew what Judas was going to do, and he said, right, go and do it. So Judas was now coming to the place where he knew they'd be. And he was bringing with him, if you see there in verse 2, he'd procured a band, uh, verse 3, sorry, he'd procured a band of soldiers and some officers of the chief priests and Pharisees. And they were coming with lanterns. Now, I don't know what you have in mind when you picture the scene in Gethsemane. I don't know how many you picture coming along, maybe a handful of people. But the word used there could mean up to 600 uh, soldiers. So it could be anywhere from 200 to 600 soldiers. So this isn't just a small group coming to deal with Jesus. They've got a full, powerful group of people and soldiers coming to get him. Here the scene would have been pretty dramatic. A big crowd with all these lanterns coming over the hill and down. They'd be able to see them coming. And there out the front is Judas. And as they come into the garden, look what Jesus says in verse 4. Knowing that what was going to happen, he came forward and said, Whom do you seek? Who are you looking for? Why have you come here? And then, verse 5, 
Jesus answered, that they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus stands forward, he steps forward, and he says, I am he. I'm the one you're looking for. But look what happens next, verse 6. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Imagine that, 600 men, 600 people, and, and all the disciples, everybody, Jesus spoke, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Now what's going on? Why did that happen? Well, we need to understand that the, the words Jesus used there, the translators have put I am he to make it sound okay in English. But literally what he said was, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, he said, I am. Now, that sounds like bad English to us if we uh, first listen, doesn't it? But actually what Jesus is saying there is, is, is loaded words. To understand what Jesus is saying, we need to go back to the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, the second book in the Bible. There, Moses is in the wilderness. God's people are slaves in Egypt. And as Moses is in the wilderness, he's looking after sheep and he sees this bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. And so Moses is interested. He walks over to it and he is stopped in his tracks by a voice coming from the bush saying, stop Moses, take your sandals off. This is holy ground. God speaks to Moses from this burning bush and says, Moses, I'm going to use you to set my people free. And Moses has a, um, you'll remember, he has a bit of a to and fro with God saying, well, I'm not sure you've got the right person here. But eventually he ends up realizing he's going to go. And he says, well, if anybody asks me who sent me, who do I say? What's your name, God? And God says this. He says, if I, Moses said, if I come to the people and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am, he said. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God's personal name, who he is, is revealed. And what's God's name? I am. I am. That means he doesn't need anyone else to define him. He is. He doesn't need anyone else to refer to to show who he is. He just is. He has always been. He is eternal. He always will be. He is the forever I am. So when Jesus stands up and says the words, I am, he's not using bad uh, language or bad English. He is saying, he is telling everybody, he's declaring who he is. He is the great I am. He is taking God's name and using it for himself. Do you see how huge that is? Do you see how big that is? And that's not the first time he's done it. In John chapter 8, it tells us this. The, uh, the Jews were talking to him and said, um, Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw it at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out to the temple because his hour hadn't yet come. Now, Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew what he was saying. And the people listening knew what he was saying because they picked up stones. They were said, hang on, you're making yourself equal with God. That's, um, you know, you are blaspheming. We're going to kill you. So Jesus went away because his time wasn't there yet. The hour hadn't come. So when Jesus said, I am, you see, this is hugely significant. Why is it so important? Well, let's pause here a moment and think, well, this has to challenge us. This has to have an impact on our life. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, 
If you're here and you haven't made your mind up about who Jesus is and why he came and you're thinking this through, can you see what Jesus is saying about himself? He is saying, I am. He is saying he is God. God in flesh. Now, when you look and compare that with other religious leaders and other religions, other religious leaders and religions will say, this is the way. Follow these rules. Do these rituals. Go to this place. This is the way you need to follow. But Jesus is totally different. He is saying, I am the way. I am the one you need to trust in. I am the one you need to follow. That means you can't simply dismiss Jesus. That means you can't simply just sit on the fence with him. And you have to be pushed to, he pushes us into a corner to make a decision. And as people over the years have said, you know, you have to decide, is he crazy? Here is somebody who thought he was God, using the same name as God, but he wasn't. Is he crazy? Or was he evil? He knew he wasn't God and he was trying to dupe people into believing he was. Or was he who he said he was? You know, we can't say this morning, oh, I, I like Jesus' teachings, but, you know, I don't want to follow all of them. Or I don't really believe he was God. Well, how can you follow the teachings of somebody who says this about themselves? Because he's either evil, crazy, or he is who he said he was. Mad, bad, or God. And we can't just sit on the fence. He says, he declares, he is saying it clearly here. This is what Bono says, the lead singer of U2. He said, Jesus went around saying he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. So either, in my view, he was the Son of God, or he was nuts. I mean, Charlie Manson-type delirium. And I find it hard to accept that whole millions and millions of lives for 2,000 years have been touched, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I just don't believe it. See, he understood what was being said here. He was either crazy or he was telling the truth. What's it going to be? If you haven't decided yet, today's the morning where you're being pressured into the corner to say, what do you make of Jesus? The cross is so important because it declared the deity of Jesus to us because of his deity. That meaning, deity meaning he was saying he was God. That's one way this passage challenges us. Another way is this, and it's quite a challenge for those of us who uh, have been here a lot. See, Judas had been with Jesus for three years. Judas has, was in all the right places saying all the right things at all the right times. He'd seen miracles. He'd done miracles. He'd heard sermons. He'd preached sermons. He saw it all firsthand. He knew the facts. Judas was there. But look where he ends up. He rejects Jesus. He turns against Jesus. Now, that's the warning, and the warning is here for us. Being in the right place, being in church, knowing the right answers, Having all the head knowledge is not enough. Even agreeing, oh, I can see how logically Jesus is God, isn't enough. Jesus doesn't want us just to know facts about him. He doesn't want us just to kind of tick a few boxes and say, oh, yes, I believe that. He wants us to love him and obey him and follow him. He wants us to live for him. So does Jesus have just our mind this morning? Or does he have our heart and our lives? Do you know all the things about Jesus and could you answer and pass a test? Well, that's nothing this morning if we don't love him and if we don't follow him. Does our life and our life line up with what we 
say in our minds. It's a big challenge to us. It's a challenge to me, it's a challenge to you, I'm sure. We need to follow Jesus with our heart, love him and trust him. Here is God in the flesh. Here is Jesus showing us who he is. Judas saw it all, but he turned against him. Don't be in the same position as him. Don't keep pushing him away. Trust in him this morning. We're asking why is the cross so important? And the first reason is the deity of Jesus. If this is God in the flesh, and this is the reason he's come, can you see how important the cross is? The reason he's come, the hour is here, this is what it's all about. If it is Jesus' focus, shouldn't it be our focus too? Maybe as a Christian this morning, you've lost focus on what it is to follow him, what it's all about. You've got distracted by side issues. The focus this morning is Jesus came for this purpose. Let's trust in him, let's follow him, let's fix our eyes on the cross again. The deity of Jesus is why it's important. The second reason that the cross is important from this passage is the determination of Jesus, the determination of Jesus. Sometimes we can look at the cross, can't we, and think, well, what a tragedy. Here was Jesus who spoke these amazing words. Here is Jesus who taught in this amazing way. Here is somebody who did these miracles and helped people. Here is somebody who never, um, never did anything wrong. And then he ended up being killed. What a tragedy. I remember hearing somebody, somebody said, imagine what Jesus could have done if he'd have lived longer. What a tragedy. Was it a tragedy? Well, these verses show us that it wasn't. These verses show us that Jesus wasn't just in the wrong place at the wrong time and suddenly everything conspired against him to end up and he ended up on the cross. No, Jesus knew exactly what was happening and Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus was focused and he was determined on getting to the cross. Let's see how we get to that conclusion from this passage. So Jesus already told Judas, do what you have to do. He knew Judas was going to betray him. And he said, do what you need to do. In John, in, we see that in John 13, 27. So what does Jesus do next? Jesus knows somebody's out to get him. So does he hide? Does he go to somewhere unsuspecting or a, a secret place? No, look what we're told. Verse 2, he went... Uh, to the, uh, in verse 1, he went to the garden, which he and his disciples entered, and Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Where does Jesus go? Somewhere where Jesus, Judas knew he'd be. He doesn't hide, he doesn't run away, but he deliberately goes where he knows, somewhere obvious, somewhere clear, Judas will know I'm here. Jesus didn't hide away. Not only that, but the big crowd of soldiers were coming. And Jesus, verse 4, we're told explicitly, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. He stepped forward and said, whom do you seek? Again, he didn't run. He didn't hide. Who are you looking for? Jesus is in total control here. Jesus is not thrown by Judas turning up with all, this, all these soldiers. And not only that, but there's another thing we see. See that moment where Jesus, as we've just seen, he says, I am. What's people's responses to all around him? They fall down, don't they? They take a step back and they're knocked over. Why? Because of the power of Jesus. Just for, it's another moment where we see Jesus kind of unveil something of his greatness and his power, which is veiled at this stage. He kind of peels back the reality on who he is and the power he has. And he speaks and they fall flat on their backs like dominoes. 
If Jesus had the power to do that with words, he could have run. He could have gone. He spoke and they fell over. That's the power of the, the King Jesus. Matthew 26 in the account of the garden says this. Jesus said these words. Do you not think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Do you not realise the power I have at my disposal? Why have you come here with swords and... Why? I could, I could knock you over in one moment. And he does. He knocks them over with a word. Here they are. They're all on the floor after Jesus has spoken. He could have run. They were in a daze, no doubt. But he stayed. And verse 7, he asks again, once they kind of gather themselves and get themselves together, whom do you seek? And he said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered again, I told you, I am. Do you see, Jesus isn't flustered here. He's in total control. He is determined to get to the cross. Now, when we pause and think, what difference does that make to our life? It's huge. After this point, in one sense, there's no turning back. Jesus has been arrested, and, you know, he's, he's in other people's hands in one sense, you could say. But here he could have run. Here he could have gone. This was his way out, but he stayed. Why did he stay? Why did he not run? Well, Hebrews 12 points out this. Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. There was a joy beyond the suffering of the cross, which kept Jesus going, which kept him there, which made him not run. What was that joy? What was it that he was going to have after the cross that he didn't have before? What was it that brought him to earth, that brought him here, that made him determined to go to the cross because without the cross he wouldn't have it? Well, the answer is his people. The answer is the joy that kept him going is you. That's why he was so determined. He went because he knew the only way for um, you to be forgiven, the only way for you to be right with God, is if he went to the cross. This is how J.C. Ryle puts it. He says, Let this thought abide in our hearts and refresh our souls. We have a Saviour who was far more willing to save us than we were willing to be saved. A Saviour who is far more willing to save us than we are willing to be saved. Here is Jesus determined, I am going, and he went for us. See, Jesus is determined, but he's, he's still in control here, isn't he? Here is a dark point in Jesus' life, you could see it as. Here is where, when, and when, from one perspective, everything falls apart. An innocent man is betrayed. Uh, here is a man who is about to be tried in an illegal court. Here is somebody who has helped so many people and yet he's going to be nailed to a cross. Here is the Son of God on the cross, going to face the rejection of his Father, suffering the deep spiritual agony that came then. And all the time he's in control. All the time he has a greater purpose than what uh, we can see. At the darkest point in Jesus' life, he was in control, and there was still hope because he was working out his purposes. Now, do you see how that can help you this morning? Maybe this morning, you're in a dark point in your life. Maybe the darkest time. And you can't see a way forward. You can't see how there can be any hope here. Well, look at the cross. There is hope because God is in control. 
as we thought about earlier with Joseph. It took Joseph 20-odd years to realize that even though his brothers meant harm, God meant it for good. We might need to take the long view, but God is good all the time, and the cross proves it. He's in control. He is working his purposes out, even in the darkness. Jesus was determined to get to the cross because he loved us so much. So do you see the cross is so important? First of all, because of the deity of Jesus. Secondly, because of the determination of Jesus. And the last thing is this, because of the devotion of Jesus. We see how devoted Jesus is to his disciples and to us. Now, notice that moment again where Jesus speaks. And he says, I am he, in verse 6, and they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, that probably would have meant his disciples falling over too. Now, why did they fall over? Well, they were confronted by Jesus' greatness and his power. And when you, are, when you encounter something bigger than you or stronger than you, what happens? You fall over. If you've ever been in the sea and a big wave comes and you think you can stand strong, what happens when the power hits you? You get knocked over time and time again. I remember being in the sea with Thomas when he was much younger, holding his hand, jumping over the wave, and suddenly this wave came. You know, he was getting a bit nervous. He said, it's okay, I've got you. The wave knocked us. Did I have him? No. I had to let go. I couldn't, I couldn't hold on. The wave was just too strong. He was in tears after saying, but daddy, you said you'd hold on to me. And it just broke my heart. I couldn't. I, it was so strong. You know, he was okay. He obviously lived to tell the tale. But, you know, this, there was a greater power than, than I could hold on to. When these people encountered this greater power, the greater glory, they just couldn't stand. It knocked them over. And whenever in the Bible God encounters people, do you, know, do you see what happens? Ezekiel knocked to the floor. He was on the floor. Isaiah on the floor when he saw the glory of God. Peter, when he saw Jesus do the miracle, away from me, I'm a sinful man. He fell on the floor. John, the writer of this gospel, in Revelation chapter 1, he sees the glory of Christ. He sees Christ in his glory. And I fell at his feet as though dead. When we see the greatness of God, when we see his glory, we don't stand and think we're anything special. We just feel small and nothing in the light of God's greatness. When we see our true selves, when we see the true greatness of God and our true selves, it humbles us to the core. And we feel like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, when he sees the glory of Jesus, he says... I'm undone. I have had it. That's it. It's the end. When we compare ourselves to true greatness, we see our real position. I've told you before about my uh, love of football uh, and as well about my very average skill in football. Um, I enjoy it, but I'm not that great. Uh, however, if I were to go up to a schoolyard, especially if those who were younger, say age four or five, I'm going low here, and I were to play football with them, I would look amazing. I'd be able to pull all the tricks off and they'd be you know, thinking, wow, look at this person, he can do skills. However, if I were then you know, to go into, I don't know, say down to Liberty Stadium or go to Barcelona and encounter Lionel Messi or someone like that, suddenly my skills against a four-year-old is not that impressive. You know, when you compare yourself to somebody who hasn't got that skills, you feel great. But when you compare yourself to somebody who's the best in the world, suddenly you're nothing. It's easy for us to look at other people and find people who are worse than us and to think, oh, I'm okay, because look, at least I'm not doing that. But when we encounter the holiness and the greatness of God, when we realize that God knows us through and through and down to the core of who we are, suddenly we feel undone. Suddenly we realize I'm not that. We realize that someone sees our hearts, our pride, our arrogance. 
They see our motives. He sees everything about us, and suddenly we're not so confident. We feel like Isaiah. I'm undone. So here's the problem. How can we stand before God's greatness? How can we be accepted by the holy God who knows us through and through? We fall so far short of his standards. How can we be right with him? Well, verse 8 gives us a clue. And verse 8 kind of gives us this lovely little picture here of the cross. Jesus said to this crowd of soldiers, I've told you I'm he. What does he say next? So if you seek me, let these men go. So Jesus could see what was happening here. Here were people coming to get him. They were expecting an insurrection. They were expecting this uprising. Here was this rebel Jesus, and he's coming against uh, Rome, and we've got to take him down. And Jesus was showing them, look, you know, I'm the one you want. If there was going to be a a rebel group, they would have taken the leader, but they'd also want to take his followers, wouldn't they? But Jesus said, no, 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 leave them be. Take me and leave them. See what he's doing. That's a picture of what's happening on the cross. We stand condemned. We deserve to face the punishment of God. And Jesus says, no, I will take it. Take me, not them. And that's what happened on the cross. Jesus took our place. Take me, not them. And verse 11, when, after Jesus speaks to Peter, after Peter cut uh, the servant's ear off, he says, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Jesus is talking there about the cup of God's wrath. That's what the Old Testament tells us. Um, the, the cup is the wrath of God, the anger of God against our sin. What's going to happen? We deserve to drink that, Jesus says. Let me drink it, not you. Let me take your place. So how can we be right with God? How can we stand before a God who sees us through and through by realizing that Jesus goes to the cross to take our place? He's our substitute. And when we realize he's done that for us and trusting in that, then we know he's taken the punishment I deserve. He has taken my place. Here is a God who loves us that much to stand in my place. Now, if you're trusting in Jesus this morning, can we just pause and say to him, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for taking my place. I deserve nothing. I have failed, and yet you did that for me. Thank you, Jesus. Because we are so aware, aren't we, of our failure. We're so aware that we don't stand up to his standards, and we don't even stand up to our own standards. That's why there's another little encouragement here as we finish. Jesus knew these disciples would flee. He knew that even Peter, who looked so brave in verse 10, we'll look at next week, ends up denying him. And Peter thinks he can stop this, doesn't he? He thinks here's this crowd, and he gets out his little knife, and he cuts off, and he... uh, And Jesus says, no, 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 what are you doing? I've got to go. Here is Jesus being followed by these weak disciples who he knows in a moment would all run away. He knows their failures. He knows they're going to let him down. But Jesus still says, take me, not them. Just leave them. He loved them so much. And it says he did this to to fulfill the the prayer that he'd already prayed to say, um, verse 9, this was to fulfill the word that he'd spoken of those whom you gave me, I've lost not one. I'm going to protect you and keep you till the end. Even though they'd let him down. Perhaps today you feel unworthy. Perhaps today you feel unlovely when you look at your failure. Jesus still says today, I'm going to the cross and I'm going to take your place. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to scrub up and sort our lives out while we were in our sin. He, he, he died for us. Look at the love of Jesus for you. Look at his devotion for you. Here, just like G Jesus said to the disciples, he said, I'm going in your place. I'm taking this for you. That's how much he loves us. So why is the cross so important? Because of the deity of Jesus. Who was dying? He was the son of God, God in the flesh. Because he was determined to die. His determination showed us, this is why I'm going. I am going and nothing stopped me. I am in control of this. And his devotion, he went in our place. If we are believing in Jesus this morning, if we're trusting in him, can we pause again and say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for doing this for me. If you haven't yet done this, look what he's done. And all this can be yours. Just trust in him. Turn to him this morning. Don't put it off. See that he's done. See how much he loves you. And trust in him. And follow him. And he will never let you down. And he'll never let you go. Let's pray before we sing our last song together about the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for our Saviour, Jesus. And we thank you for what he went through on our behalf. We pray, please, that you'd forgive any apathy in our hearts towards Jesus and help us to live for him, to honour him, to love him. And I pray, Lord, please, that people who don't know him yet today would trust in him and turn to him for your glory's sake. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>